Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. Newcastle Library's Heritage Collection contains more than 440,000 items in various formats from Merrill portraits and Snowball's plate glass negatives to the original Menzies Declaration and the Creer and Berkeley Archive of Subdivision Maps. A wide range of Newcastle's stories are presented in the Library's Heritage Collection. Join us as we explore one piece from the Library's fascinating Rare Book Room. Welcome to our Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. I'm Kerry Shaw, the Heritage Collections Digitisation Specialist at Newcastle Libraries. Today we are discussing two topics many of us find close to our hearts, food and cocktails. The two Newcastle Library treasures which inspire this chat are The Savoy Cocktail Book by Harry Craddock, published in 1933, and 500 Sandwiches by Florence A. Cowles, published in 1929. Both books are part of the Roland Pope bequest of the library's collection. Joining me today to talk about sandwiches and cocktails are Chef Amaral Dempster of the Slow Food Movement and Carl Kensler, brewer extraordinaire. The sandwich as we know it was popularised in England in 1762 by John Montague, the fourth Earl of Sandwich. The story goes, and is mostly agreed upon as being true, that the Earl of Sandwich had a gambling problem, which meant he spent long hours at the card tables. One night, after a considerable gambling session, he asked the cook to bring him something he could eat without leaving his seat. Meat between two pieces of bread appeared, and the arrangement was, so in- was enjoyed so much that Montague ate it constantly. Others at the card tables began to order with a cry, I'll have what sandwich is having, and pretty soon that just became, I'll have the sandwich please. Today we enjoy a vast variety of sandwiches made from many different types of breads and fillings. So the original sandwich was um, was to do with... Um, a poker game, I believe. I believe it was a poker game. How interesting that food sort of evolves from this type of thing. That was a lot of time spent at the table. <laughs> well, that's Money right. Money moving. And I think it's the, the first of the convenience foods, really, because, um, because the need for playing poker and eating at the same time. The sandwich evolved from two slices of bread and some possibly some meat that was left over from the night before. Lovely roast. Couldn't think of a more perfect sandwich, really. Yeah. Uh, beautiful bits of bread with, with some meat. Perfect sandwich. And I guess um, starting from there, the sandwich sort of evolved to many cultures have sandwiches. So I, I remember a really just watching these children come to a picnic, just a beachside suburb in, in Sydney. And um, this family arrived, they got their pita bread out and um, got some kebabs that were wrapped in foil, stripped the meat off the, the stick, put it into the pita bread, and the children had an instant beautiful sandwich. This was Middle Eastern family, and that was their sandwich. What do we got, the onigiri yeah. in Japan? It's um, like 
basically like their white sliced bread. They just eat it regularly, heat it up when they get home. Pan fried rice with bonito flakes, so you get that nice salty element. Very plain. They may put a topping on it if they need to, but it's a nice little one. I think the um, importance of using textures in sandwiches, you know, that's what's oh, involved definitely. really. So in terms of your palate, balancing all the four flavours on your palate through the sandwich. Yes, of course, we've got umami. Um, umami. Yes. Yeah. So uh, using preserves or preserved food and maybe part of that. As we know, some of the healthier diets always have pickles in their diet. Whatever, whenever they eat, some mm. sort of pickle. And I love if a sandwich is going on, beetroot, some sort of pickle really brightens this. Yeah. Food. I've been pickling um, cabbage, red cabbage. Yeah, nice. Really um, nice colours. Absolutely adds that beautiful texture to any sandwich, really. Yeah. Yeah, particularly with ham. The culture of a sandwich, like you said, depending on which culture you're looking at, have you know, so many meanings. What type of bread are you using? What type of fillings? Is it pickled? Is it, you know, meats cured? Heaps of options. Yeah. Like it's, it's a very easy medium. And like the convenience, like you said, that poker game, the guy didn't want to get up. So that was yeah. the concept. Where I need something in my hand that I can keep nibbling at it, keep talking, keep, keep playing. Same for us. Like lunch is always in Australia. Yeah. Like, Pack your sandwich, you could go. What about though, I think that it's really important to sort of see how something that evolved, you know, you might be from homemade bread, etc. And we're seeing the resurgence of that now. But in between that time, in the last sort of 30 years, we've seen sort of the rise of that food industrialized turned into a, a manufactured product, yeah. say for the fast food chains, etc. And we saw that basic convenience food that might have evolved from from the need to not leave your poker table to it being available right around the globe now as a convenience food so in terms of the food system it's changed that sandwich it from has. a humble sandwich into into a, a commercial product that can be consumed at any time any time of the day in any part of the world you can taste it it's all very that homogenous taste so we lost yeah the neutral medium taste it commodified what was essentially something rather beautiful and hopefully we're now seeing with with the with covid that we've um, that people have suddenly realized that they can grow their own food they can grow some lettuces and hey four weeks later you've got beautiful leaves you can put fresh into a fruit. sandwich we're seeing that sort of movement towards fresh seasonal food again and i think as awful as the pandemic is in terms of food i think people are getting back to their roots to to find that out and they're finding that they can do that i remember as a kid looking at bread that could sit on the shelf for a week and not go off is astounding so you go to a bakery the smell the fresh you know that i guess obviously you'll um, form the the toasted sandwich so day old bread you put it in you know in the toaster and then you've got toasties but the concept of you know not having fresh is you miss out on so much yes the bread will sit and it'll stay soft but you know when we digest something it's got to break it down if it can sit on a shelf for weeks What's it going to do in your stomach? You know, same thing. It's not it's not healthy for us. You sort of think, when did we change from eating this amazing fresh bread that we walk down to the bakery and eat and all of a sudden accept this, I don't want to say brands, but product will sit on shelves for weeks and go, well, that's just as good and it's far from it. If you are growing your own lettuce and have expanded into owning chickens, which are supplying plenty of eggs, you could try your hand at one of the 500 sandwich recipes as follows. Tomato egg sandwich. Put hard-boiled eggs through the food chopper and moisten with tomato catsup sauce. Spread on lettuce leaves placed between two slices of buttered bread. Season with salt and pepper to enjoy. 
Foot traffic to restaurants and cafes declined or even ceased for periods of time in some places due to COVID-19. The effect of this decline meant demand for certain agricultural products fell and farmers reported a glut in supplying, leading them to search for improved or new ways to market and sell their products. Gluts in some products left people thinking of new ways to use the produce. Many chefs and brewers started to experiment with new ingredients and flavours. Some products had to go back to being made in-house instead of bought from suppliers due to supply chains being closed down. New ideas were explored with interesting results. Yeah, so what Very about flavours in, in cocktails? Well, that's where we're getting back to our roots as well. Like, I've, We're seeing a lot of that sort of re-emergence of basic flavour and going really back to sort of baselines of what tastes right, but why is it tasting right? So we're looking at the whys and the hows of what's actually going into a cocktail why is it bringing us enjoyment why are we is it triggering an olfactory sense is it making us sort of go back to that memory base of oh this flavor is from my childhood now as an adult i can re-enjoy this flavor so we're looking at well classic example for us is like we've done a full line on old world movies so we've gone from eating mustics jaffas and spearmint leaves at the movies and popcorn to now a popcorn vodka and a jaffa liqueur because for us it's that trigger of the flavors of the memories and we go down that lane and it's the same thing with you look at going back to our roots now walking through a supermarket we'll go through or you through a retail store you look at the electrical section the bread makers the dough makers and the rise of the Nutribullet seems to be um, coming through with people wanting to play and make at home mm. and it's that use of both elements in the at-home world and bringing what we can get in the outside world when we can't go outside. There's a lot of re-education of the palate as well, isn't there? I mean, in terms of ingredients. Well, and I believe what... if you slow down, yeah. which we've had to do, we've had to yeah. stay at home, that, that provokes that, you know, what am I eating? Worried about where do I get my food is um, provoked a lot of that slowing down and tasting. Once again, like all of a sudden we've got time. A lot of us are working from home. A lot of us are spending this quality time at home and it's, we've seen that sort of slow food stuff come back through where we're seeing people do those nice home cooked meals that have been in the slow cooker for the past eight to 20 hours. We mm. have a lot of people curing their own meats. Like look at the rise of jerkies and cured meats coming back and every butcher shop you go into these days has their own range of jerkies. Yeah. But the other thing is that chickens have become something that people feel they can have in their backyard, which means there's already supply of eggs, for example. And eggs are perfect for sandwiches. In our cafe, we have a curried egg sandwich. You know, that seems like something out of the past. But when you reimagine a curried egg sandwich in today's cafe world, mixed with preserved lemons that, you know, you might preserve at, when they're abundant and in season, suddenly you've got this whole new Don't burst of flavour happening in your mouth and it's really wonderful and if you put that in between two beautiful bits of bread sourdough and lettuce that you've grown in your own backyard you've got this whole new beautiful sandwich that you can now you don't need the bread of course you can just roll that up in lettuce or in in kale or in in anything really and I think that the fact that people now have chickens in their backyard they're learning about taking care of animals children are exposed to to where their food is coming from from. And the produce, you know, it's instant and such a perfect food and egg. So an egg sandwich, highly recommend those as well. Yeah, yeah. brings back to primal. Where's your food come from? And be able to see it happen and evolve 
take your scraps, feed your chooks. Yeah. Kids learn. I think kids in general have learned a lot over this time. Like ours, were, like loved it. Yeah. Shutdown was like, okay, that's fine. We've obviously got chickens as well. Roosters a bit of a problem. <laughs> that's okay. Seeing that evolution and that we've we've gone to the point where we've had a rooster introduced a rooster in a separate area. So our scraps go. We feed the chooks. Now we've got chicks. And we're yep. starting to raise those up as well. So, you know, not only is it food, they're also seeing, yeah, like you said, the, the life circle, yep. which is so important. I think so. I think it's been, there's some benefits that have come from this time and that's great. The other thing is also thinking about all the botanicals that are, you know, that we're now becoming more, you know, a lot more herbs and lots of Australian native ingredients that are used. And I'm just wondering how that uh, is uh, in the in looking f- into into the future how that might result in the cocktails go straight to gin with that one so gin for the past three years has been in over 200 percent growth and it's people going back to their roots and going back to botanicals and what's the ideology of what's good that's going into your body from the alcohol that you're drinking a lot of people are going back to tradition of uh, what were the medicinal purposes of the product they're drinking like the old dutch sailors and the old dutch army sergeants were drinking gin that was purely a an alcohol base that was steeped in juniper and angelica root which both have sort of anti-inflammatory and more benefit for the body rather than the aspect of the drinking which i'm sure helped warm them up on colder nights out at war and on the front line but it was more around that basis of why am i actually consuming this product in today's society the botanical market's just ever growing and it's we're getting a real sort of sense of people are open and curious Mm. and it's bringing identity to what people are making so a lot of the gin distillers now are locally foraging and sourcing the product that they want to put in their gin you've got companies out there that are quite close to the coastline so they're going out and they're finding your sandfire and your native kelps and getting that real home sort of aspect or the terroir of the product that they're making and for us the only real ingredient that has to go into a gin is juniper everything else the world is your oyster like mm-hmm. there's a plethora of flavors there that we can put in and like on the note of natives that like we use a we have a lemon myrtle in one of ours and it traditionally you get that real citrus kick from a punch of lemon and citrus infused into your gin but the lemon myrtle brings that real sort of nice floral and fragrant aspect mm. but also gives that sense of homage to australia and the beautiful plants that we have growing here yeah it's the the way of the future really isn't it it's enabled us to really look at what we have here with imported ingredients you know being in short supply it's it's enabled us to look at i mean i've um Traditionally, because of my Sri Lankan background, you know, I blend a lot of herbs and spices to make the food that I do make. But now I'm looking at the alternatives. So instead of lemongrass, I'm now using native lemongrass. I'm using lemon myrtle instead of cardamom, for example, in my cooking. And I'm just looking for all of those different ingredients and how I can bring that into into my own cafe cooking. Certainly using a lot of it in cakes and sweets but trying to incorporate them into the more savoury aspects of what we do. I mean, wattle seed through mixed through pastry, rolled out pastry and sort of parmesan, for example, has yeah, given nice. a whole new yeah, new nutty, meaning, a nutty, roasty flavour yeah. to what we do. So I think that this time, you know, it, we the word pivot, we're pivoting into this whole new exciting time where we have these ingredients right here and now we can use them whether it's in a sandwich or a pastry or whatever we're doing just being more conscious of it and then certainly in the alcohol certainly um, having some alcohol at this time and feeling like you're 
exploring something new, I think, is what's exciting for the future. Well, and contributing to the the craft niche that seems to be developing now as well. Like a lot of people are steering away from those larger brands and going to the small distilleries that are making a hundred to two hundred bottles, rather than the ones that are making ten to twenty thousand. Yeah. So they're really starting to establish that identity and culture for Australia mm. and for what does our our food and our our dining and drinking market look like and what what makes us Australian what makes our cuisine what it is because we've got such a diverse and cultural country we're really just starting to establish our own identity and our own ingredients portfolio we're certainly seeing that in terms of small scale production been moving away from that whole industrialized system to really appreciate our small scale farmers our small scale producers our local biodiversity i think uh, as we move into the future we're going to see a lot of a lot more biodiversity a lot more choice because people have this new energy in terms of of what they do in terms of food wine alcohol cocktails all that sort of thing we're just desperate for for the new i think and i think it's a, a really good future we learnt very young in the restaurant whatever we put our money towards we're supporting so if it's mass industry that ill-treating animals that sort of stuff if i still buy that because it's cheaper i support it we always made a, a decision in our restaurant to steer clear and this for chefs is probably a really prominent time to support the smaller industries that are trying to get off their feet in these times there is no need really as a chef to go looking for the bigger production places because you know you have a small quantity of say i mean this week i've got some white onions for example and they've gone in all our dishes so in all our pies all our frittatas etc all that and in all our sandwiches and they're just beautiful they're so sweet so fresh they've just come straight out of the farm and people are starting to notice that there is a difference in flavor when you're using uh, local, seasonal, right there. You know, people often come in and they say, look, they want a pumpkin, for example, at the moment. Well, you can't buy a local pumpkin because there isn't one. No. And that, that whole realisation, what? There is no pumpkin. Well, you just simply can't have pumpkin soup when pumpkins are not in season. And I think that message at education, it's so important for people to become aware of it. If we become aware as adults, I think we can take that to the children. Running seasonal too does push you, especially as a chef or at dining or at home, to change. You've got to eat the rainbow as the concept. Eat yes. many different colours, then you get all your nutrients, vitamins. It's that mixer that is important. Yep. Seasonal, if you're shopping that way, you won't fall into the rut of, I only have pumpkin soup on a wine day. You'll eat other things. Oh, there's mushroom soup or there's other soups. I find that a good trigger for that. So after all of this hard work in the garden and all the turmoil that we've been through this year, a cocktail wouldn't go astray. English-born Harry Craddock, author of the Savoy Cocktail Book, worked at the Savoy Hotel in London from 1920 to 1938 after living in Cleveland and New York. During his time at the Savoy, he wrote the book, which is still in print today. He founded the United Kingdom Bartenders Guild in 1934. Harry is credited with creating a number of classic cocktails, including the famous Corpse River Reviver No. 2 and White Lady. He retired from bartending in 1947, passing away in 1963. Harry left us with a great legacy in his book of timeless cocktails. So right now, let's try a good old-fashioned Bloody Mary from the book. Into a cocktail shaker, place one jigger of vodka, two jiggers of tomato juice, a third of a jigger of lemon juice, and a dash of Worcestershire sauce, salt and pepper to taste. Shake well with ice and strain into a glass. Then sit back and enjoy while you nibble on a sandwich. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Treasures from the Rare Book Room podcast. To access and browse Newcastle Library's collections, please visit our website at newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library. To view our heritage collection, just Google Hunter Photo Bank. The online collection is constantly being added to as items are digitised and loaded, so be sure to visit often. This has been a Newcastle Library's Real Production.